afraid, but I was very much afraid, but now, those are the words of Nehemiah in a watershed moment for his life. Uh, not just a watershed moment for his life, but a watershed moment for Israel as a whole, and a watershed moment for you. I was very much afraid, but... And so I want to be really upfront and honest with you this morning. I've been praying, and I am praying right now, uh, that this morning the result of hearing God's words would be that you too, like Nehemiah, uh, would be able to say in your lives, I was very much afraid, but... Uh, if you're anything like me, you probably often say, I was very much afraid. It's just that my but always comes before. It's always the end of the sentence. Something, but I was very much afraid, full stop. And so my prayer for you this morning as we look at God's Word is that, but I was very much afraid would not be the end of the sentence, but the start of the sentence for the difficult things that you will go through in your life. That you'd be able to say, I was very much afraid to have that difficult conversation with my spouse that I knew I had to have, but I was very much afraid to confess that I'd been struggling with pornography, but... I was very much afraid to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with my co-worker, but. So would you pray with me as we um, dig into Nehemiah chapter 2 um, and ask that God would confront us, but also give us courage and give us faith as we trust in Him in the hard moments of our life. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are able to be gathered here this morning. Uh, Father, you know what's going in our hearts. There's so much going on. There's so many things that we're afraid of. Father, thank you that you know each and every single one of our fears. Thank you that you know all of our failures. And thank you that you love us. Father, I pray this morning that as we look at Nehemiah and look at the faith that he had in you, that you would give us that same sort of faith. Um, that throughout all the hard times and all the difficult things that we're going to continue to go through, we would be able to know that you are always in control, you're always kind and you're sovereign and that we can take big steps following you. In your son's name we pray, amen. So the big idea of this morning is simply this, it's pray big and live big. Uh, I think that's pretty obvious, it's that we should expect big things from God and attempt big things for God. That is, we should expect big things from God and then attempt big things for God. And so we're just going to look very briefly in Nehemiah chapter 2 this morning and just see a little bit of a moment, a little story in Nehemiah's life um, where he trusted God and God did extraordinary things. We see both Nehemiah's incredible trust that God is able to do big things and we also see him attempting big things for God. Um, Nehemiah doesn't kind of have a false sense of humility that's just his way to get out of doing hard or difficult things. He actually kind of sees that God has a plan, he knows what God has promised, and so he goes after it with all of his force, trusting in God, not for his own glory, um, but actually for God's glory. Uh, we just finished looking up at Nehemiah in our youth group, and what we would say to the kids that is, if Donald Trump had a favourite book of the Bible, it would be Nehemiah, because Nehemiah is all about building a wall. Um, from the very start of Nehemiah, you see that, because there's Jerusalem. And in Ezra, Jerusalem has been rebuilt, that's what's happened, but there's still no wall around it. 
And so have a look, if you've got your Bibles there, I'll read it to you if you don't. This is Nehemiah chapter 1. Uh, Nehemiah is, is in exile. Uh, he's in Persia. He, the Jews have been taken out of uh, where they used to live. Are we going to be able to get that on the screen? That would be brilliant. This is very high tech here. I'm very impressed. Verse 2 of chapter 1. Look at that. That's amazing. It says this. Hanai, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and they were also in Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Verse 4, this is Nehemiah speaking, he says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. I'm not sure if you've ever had a burden on you where you look at something and you go, this is not the way it should be, it's meant to be better than this, it should be different to this, and you feel some sense of responsibility over it. That's what happens to Nehemiah and because he knows that God has actually promised to restore Jerusalem. And so he sees these great promises of God, of this restoration of Jerusalem, and yet he looks at it and it's in ruins, it's in tatters, and he sees God's heart for that and he says, I want to be part of this, this is not right. And so he gets down and he starts praying. Every day it says he sat down and he prayed to God that God would use him to actually be part of the movement to restore Jerusalem. And so at the verse, end of 11... This is what he says of chapter 1, verse 11. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. Um, our todays are often very different to God's todays. Our timing is often a little bit different to God's timing. And so Nehemiah has been praying, God, grant this to me today for a long time, because by the time we come to chapter 2, it says, in the month of Nisan. Uh, now, I don't know much about Jewish months, so I looked into it. That's about five months later. And Nehemiah, every day, has been saying, God, would today be the day? God, would today be the day? God, would today be the day? He is ferocious and persistent in his prayer. He doesn't stop praying for the thing that God has placed on his heart. He's opposite to me. I get fired up about things, I see great needs, I, I know great prayer requests for people, and for the first few days, I'm on fire, I'm praying every single day for that person, and three weeks later, I've forgotten all about it. I don't have the persistence that Nehemiah has. And then we come to chapter 2. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought to him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. You know how sometimes there's a, a negative Nancy in your life, someone who can just bring down the feeling of an organization or a group or a group of friends or a friend. When someone is down or when someone is always critical, it can bring down the mood. Now, you and I don't get a say in who is in our life often. But if you're the king of Persia, you get to choose exactly who's in your presence and who's not in your presence. 
and you choose that nobody who even has a little bit of a frown is going to be anywhere near you. Uh, if you know your Bibles, you might remember the story of Esther, and you might remember her uncle Mordecai, he's outside the gates. The reason that he's not allowed inside the gates is because he's mourning. Uh, no one who was mourning, who was upset, who was angry, who was critical was allowed. The presence of the king was to be somewhere which was happy, exuberant, positive. There was never anything critical said around the king, and yet here is Nehemiah. Now, I don't know if he's putting it on. Maybe he's making an extra show. Look how upset I am. Can you ask me, King? Or, or maybe it's just overflowing. It's been months. He's seen no action. He wants to see God work because the king actually asks him. Verse 2, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. What a terrifying moment for Nehemiah. A terrifying moment where you stand before the king who has power of life or death over you and he asks you that question. Now, as you read through Nehemiah, you get the picture that Nehemiah is just a classic extrovert. He just seems so bold, so audacious. He's always going out, and you'll see him later if you read through the story. People he doesn't agree, he grabs their hair and he's ripping it around. He's saying, you do this and you do that, and he leads this great movement. I'm so happy that in the book of Nehemiah, we also get little bits of his diary. There's interspersed in the narrative little comments from Nehemiah, and I'm so glad because otherwise I think I'll just look at him and say, he's just so completely different to me. I mean, this man is just on fire all the time, he's always leading, he's so sure, uh, but it's verses like this that give me great comfort and great hope, because what does he say? I was very much afraid. No kidding, Nehemiah. Uh, you're standing before the king who has life and death over you, who's just asked you why you're sad when you're never meant to be sad in his presence. You've been praying for this moment to actually be able to lead a movement to restore your people. I'm glad that you're afraid. You're normal. I'm glad. <laughs> the testament of God's saints is not perfection. It's just a new direction. Being a Christian is not sinless perfection and always being completely 100% full of joy and never doubting and never being afraid. It's just a new direction in life as God continues to transform us and work in us. I'm so glad that Nehemiah was very afraid. It's just that the but comes before, sorry, after and not before. It's not the end of the situation, it's just the start of the situation. He says, I was very much afraid. I mean, the Hebrew in this was I looked into, it, this is terrified. It, it, he is absolutely stuck as worried about what's going on here. And yet, he says, and this is, this is courageous. But I said to the king, verse 3, may the king live forever. Okay, he's smart, he knows, that he, you know, he should, you could suck up a little bit, you know, okay, I'm about to rip the king, so I'm going to say something nice, may the king live forever. And then he says... Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruin and its gates have been destroyed? Um, it's important to realize historically that this king that he's speaking to has actually already made a decree that this Jerusalem is not going to be rebuilt. And so what Nehemiah is saying here is he's saying, you want to know why I'm sad? I'll tell you why I'm sad. It's because of you. <laughs> You're the one who's ruining my homeland. You're the one who's made a decree. Why shouldn't I be sad? Oh, I can't believe that he does this. But he expects big things from God, and then he goes and attempts big things for God. He just goes all in. He sees his opportunity, and he takes it. And then the king says, I mean, this is this moment in the movie when, when, when the score just cuts out, and it's silence. 
And you wonder, how is the king going to respond to this attack on his sovereignty? Verse 4, the king said to me, what is it you want? As I've read this over and over, I, I wonder, how did he say it? Is it, you know, well, what is it you want? Is it, uh, what is it you want, Nehemiah? I, I don't know. What I do know is what Nehemiah does next. He sees his opportunity, he's been praying for it, and so he prays again. The second he's confronted with the opportunity that he's been praying for for five months, his first reaction, to pray again. That's what it says, verse, end of verse 4, Then I prayed to the God of heaven. And now I'm imagining that at this moment, he didn't turn to the king and said, excuse me, great king, can you just give me half an hour so I can go and, and kneel down and pray and, and come up with an itemized list of what I'm going to ask from you and th- think about it really tactically? I- I'm assuming he didn't have time for that. I-, I think the picture here is that he shot up an arrow prayer. Now, arrow prayers are those prayers that you pray um, when you've had such a hard day at work and, and you walk in your room, in your house at the end of the day and your kid hasn't done that thing that you've asked them to do a thousand times uh, but they're sitting at the computer watching that hundredth episode of the thing they've seen a thousand times before and you shoot up an arrow prayer. Um, arrow prayers are those prayers you pray when your spouse does that thing which used to be really cute when you were dating but now it's so frustrating and you shoot up an arrow prayer. Arrow prayers are those prayers that you pray when you're sitting at your computer and you've got that opportunity to go to the website you know you have no business being on and you shoot up an arrow prayer. Arrow prayers are those prayers you pray when you turn up to work on Monday morning and they ask you, how was your weekend? What did you get up to on Sunday? You think, They're not in place of long prayer, but they're no less effective than long prayer. Because it's not about the power of our prayers, it's actually about the power of the one who answers our prayers. Sometimes, if you're like me, we hear these stories of people, you know, Martin Luther, and he would say, I've got such a busy day, I need to pray for three hours this morning. And I hear stories like that, I think, three hours? I'd be lucky I did three minutes today. And then you hear stories of John Spurgeon, who, who kind of exacerbated his, his congregation. He said, I don't think I've ever prayed more than five minutes at a time. He said, but I don't think I've gone more than five minutes without praying. The picture of someone who is in a relationship with God is a picture of someone who talks to God. It's in the big chunks, but it's in the little moments of life, those constant communications that we shoot up to God, which also goes along because it shows that we're fully reliant and fully dependent. I often think of prayer as almost a bit of a springboard that I jump onto to get away and do my work, Um, but the Bible says that prayer is the work. Every moment, every second of our life, we continue to bring it to God because we trust that He's the one in control. And so Nehemiah shoots up his little arrow prayer, and then he gets down to business. Verse 5, And I answered the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, where my fathers are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you be back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me with safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so he will give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. Uh, Do you see what Nehemiah is asking? (laughs) He's standing before a foreign king 
who has power of life or death over him, who's made a public declaration that his hometown will never be restored, and, and, and Nehemiah is his cupbearer. I think often what I always thought about cupbearers was that it's a very dangerous position because what that meant is they were tasting the food and the wine before they gave it to the king. And so if someone tried to poison the king, you would die first. That's true. But it's also a very privileged position. You don't put someone in that position unless you absolutely trust them because they're the number one person that somebody's going to try and get if they want to poison you because all that cupbearer's got to go is go, oh, this one's good, king, no worries, here you go, boom, he's dead. So Nehemiah is saying to him, I want you to let your most trusted person that you've given this privileged responsibility to go for basically a whole year, and not only that, I want you to send me to basically one of our foreign enemies, this place that you've said is never going to be rebuilt, and while you send me there, O great king, can you also provide me with an armed escort so that I can get there safely? And listen, while we're at it, how about you just provide the timber so that we can rebuild the wall too? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable that Nehemiah would ask this. That's why I love that he says he was very afraid. (laughs) He is a little bit normal after all. But what's more amazing is the king's response. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. And Nehemiah doesn't say, and because I was a, a magnificent orator, the king granted my request. He doesn't say, because I made the best case possible, the king granted my request. He says, because God's hand was upon me, because God is in control of all things, that's the only reason that this king even gave a little thought to it. Pray prayers that make you embarrassed to pray them out loud. Pray prayers that seem so ridiculous that people snicker when they hear what you're praying for. Imagine Nehemiah telling his buddies what he was praying for that morning. I was just praying for the restoration of our kingdom, that the king would grant me a request to go and rebuild it and provide all the funds for it. Would have been laughed out of the room. And keep praying. And keep praying for your non-Christian children your non-Christian family members. Keep praying for your marriage. Keep praying for this church. Expect big things from God and attempt big things for God. I think sometimes, maybe in my circles, we can be too quick to go to the, um, you know, God doesn't always answer uh, prayers with an immediate yes, and we've got to learn to be content. Absolutely, we've got to learn to be content and satisfied in these circumstances. The reason we are content and satisfied in every circumstance is because we know that God is always in control. And because God is always in control, that means that we can ask Him to do amazing things that seem implausible by human standards. It's because of our satisfaction and our contentment in our present circumstances that we are able to be burdened for the wider situation that we see on in the world and ask that God would use us to to change things. It's not about the size of the obstacle that's in front of us. It's about the size of the God who is behind us. God didn't call you into His family because you're great. He certainly didn't choose me because I'm great. But He brings us into His family and by His Spirit, He equips you with everything that you need for godly living. Keep praying for your families and your marriages and the situations at this church. 
But I want you to notice what happens. This is the moment in the movie um, where there's great celebration. Uh, There's two people sitting there, they're celebrating, they're sitting around a table, everything's happy, and then the camera uh, pans back. And as it pans back, it comes by the little shadowy alcove. And in the shadowy alcove, uh, the sinister evil people kind of laughing or making a plotting plan. That's what happens because it says there, verse 10, it says, When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Opposition to your faithfulness is not a sign that you're not walking in God's way. In fact, often um, the pattern of the Bible is that as you continue to trust God and be faithful to God, you will see continued opposition. What is it that Jesus says? He says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. Opposition to what you're doing does not indicate that you are not walking in God's plan for your life. As faithfulness increases, so opposition increases. And you see here this watershed moment in Nehemiah where the king has just agreed to a big plan and instantly, what do you see? You see the opposition come up. And as you walk through Nehemiah, you see each time that there's a great move forward, there's a greater increase in the opposition. And so the encouragement to us as we look at this is to remember that God is a big God. You know, we sing the song, I don't know if you sing it here, we sing it at my church. Um, My God is so big, so strong and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. That's true, that's it. (laughs) We sing it with our mouths. I don't know if I always sing it with my life. I don't know if the kids at my church always look at me and can say, you know, Chris actually believes that there's nothing his God cannot do. I think they hear me say it. I don't think that if they had a little in, insight into my life, if they had an insight into the way that I work with my friends and the way that the difficulties going in church, if they saw behind the scenes to some of the, the stuff that we deal with as a session, if they saw the way that I, I meet with people in their grief, I think they wouldn't be so assured that I really believe that there's nothing that my God cannot do. I want to say it not just with my mouth but with my life. I want to expect big things from God and then I want to attempt big things for God. And the reason that we can do that, ultimately, because we've got so much more motivation than Nehemiah ever did, is because the greatest building work that has ever been done um, has already been done. So many churches, they preach Nehemiah when they've got a big construction project going on. They're about to build a new multifaceted hall. So they go, we're going to build Nehemiah. It's about a building project. But they miss the point. Nehemiah is about a great God who always accomplishes his purpose. And the way that the New Testament picks up the building language is actually when it talks about you. You're the building. You're the temple. You're the stones that God has built into a holy and living temple. The royal priesthood. That's, that's, that's 1 Peter, it's Ephesians 2. The greatest building work that has ever been done, the greatest accomplishment that has ever been done has already been done and we are brought into God's family because of it. I believe that there is nothing that God cannot do because He took me, the worst sinner I know, washed me clean, brought me into His family, adopted me, forgave me, gave me His Spirit, died on the cross for me. I believe that there is nothing my God cannot do because He has done the most magnificent work. And that's why when we get to Ephesians 2, 
which is that stunning picture. It says this, For it is by grace you have been saved, verse 8, through faith, and it is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. We're the building, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I've taken great comfort from those verses over the last few years. Because the fact that God has prepared my good works and your good works means that He has provided every person that's necessary for that good work. He has provided every circumstance that is necessary for that good work. Um, He has equipped you with everything that you need to be the parent that He wants you to be. He has equipped you with everything you need um, to be the wife that God wants you to be. Um, He has equipped you with everything you need to uh, share the gospel with your co-workers. He has prepared every good work in advance for you. He hasn't left you on your own. And so we can expect incredible things from God, um, but we can also attempt incredible things for God. Because it's not about the size of the obstacle in front of you. It's about the size of the God who is behind you. I was very much afraid, but I don't care what your past has. There's an incredible verse in Hebrews where Jesus, God is speaking and He says, I will remember their sins no more. I don't care what your history is, God has forgiven that. Um, But there are so many moments in front of you this week, um, this coming year, where you're going to have an opportunity to end a sentence with, but I was very much afraid, or to have I was very much afraid, but in the middle of it. And you can do that because God is worthy and He is trustworthy. In 1 Peter it says, "Um, cast your anxieties on God because He cares for you. We do the casting, God does the caring, He's in control. Opposition increases as faithfulness increases. But Jesus has done the most magnificent work that has ever existed. I don't know what prayer you've been praying for the last maybe 20 years. Uh, I was just recently with my mum at her place and she just happened to check her emails and she just burst into tears. It's unusual for my mum. And she just said, oh, my, my friend's mother at 93 years old, I just accepted Jesus, just trusted in Jesus. My, my friend has been praying for her her whole life. I've been praying. Sometimes our today is not God's today. But God will always answer your prayers the way that you would have if you knew everything that He did. And we don't. And maybe your prayers won't be answered, but maybe they will, because we have a great God who does amazing things and who always keeps His promises. Let's pray. Father God, um, we just saw this story in Nehemiah about someone who in many ways seems so courageous to us, and we ask that you would give us the same courage, and not because we think that's going to earn our way into heaven uh, or anything like that, but because we trust in you fully. Father, thanks that you've brought us into your family, thanks that you've adopted us, and I want to pray for this congregation who I don't know that well, um, and I ask that in whatever situations they have, in the moments, in the coming days, weeks, months, and years, um, that you would give them the courage to, in the middle of their sentences as they reflect on their lives, be able to say, I was very much afraid, but in your son's name we pray, amen.